Greg, thank you. Wow. And Becca, you guys have taught us hope. I remember the first time I heard from them about the, the diagnosis where I was right out there. But did you hear that description? Incredible, extraordinary, almost unfathomable, unnatural hope that we have as followers of Jesus. Man, we need to taste that. We need to taste it together. Uh, let's ask him to teach us right now in the midst of a thing called a pandemic. And who knows what else is happening in, journey, in your journey. Let's talk to him. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we've got a few minutes here to be together. Not to punch a church card, but to hear from you. And we're all grappling with the pandemic, and then we're all grappling with subsets of that. Health concerns, financial concerns, work concerns, family crises, emotional turmoil. And we need hope. Unnatural. Extraordinary. Incredible, almost unfathomable hope. So we're listening. May that we hear the echo of an angel's words proclaimed on a hillside in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And may it find a new home. Those words find a new home in the journeys of men and women in an incredible year called 2020 where we need incredible hope. I ask this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here. And also, those of you who are online, we're grateful that you're here. You guys done your Christmas shopping? Mm -hmm. Some of you are just so thankful Walgreens is open on Christmas Day, aren't you? Now here's a gift that I guarantee you, you want under your tree. Thank you for asking. It's a gift of hope. It's a gift of hope in the midst of that relational or vocational or financial or medical, bacterial, viral stuff. We could all use a, a gift of hope. So what's it look like? Go back to that text that Gary and John and Summer read earlier in Luke chapter 2. It's a very familiar text. It took place on the hillside. But the angel said to them, verse 10, Luke chapter 2, do not be afraid. By the way, an angel is describing what this gift looks like. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The gift of hope is described there. Let me give you a hint. Did you guys notice Greg's glasses? 
Greg, who's describing an incredible, extraordinary, almost unfathomable, unnatural hope. The reason he was able to say that is because of his glasses. It's these glasses that enable us to unpack the gift of hope. And as it's not literal glasses. It wasn't Greg's I'm not asking if you noticed his physical glasses, but did you notice the way that he was seeing? All right, let me give you a little bit more of a hint. You guys seen Charlie Brown's Christmas once or twice in your lifetime? Who reads the Christmas story? And he comes out on stage, reads that famous text, but he reads it from the King James Version. And it's a version we don't read that much, but verse 10, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, is what the angel said to them. We don't see that. And here's what's unfortunate about that. That word behold is not in most contemporary translations. And part of it is it's an archaic word that we don't use. Uh, uh, You know, you don't say, Behold, you can get extra cheese on that burger. Or, behold, there's a sale going on. We just don't use the word behold. But here's the danger. There is, in the King James Version there, there's a corresponding Greek word that was translated behold that we just leave out. The word transliterated is I-D-O-U in, in Greek, idu. It means look, behold. See, perceive, notice, pay attention to, understand. It is a rich, full word. And that angel is saying, look at this differently. Look at the reality that you're in differently. Look at it in a way that you otherwise could not. And then he proceeds to tell us how. But it is first, it's that moment where you were not beholding and now you, almost, now you behold. To open the gift of hope is to behold, to see, to awaken, to what Peter refers to as a living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His grace, mercy, He has given us new birth into, and I love this, a living hope. Hope is not optimism. Hope is a confidence. Optimism enables you to make stuff up. Hope is a confidence that there is a reality that you're walking into. And the way that we see it is we, we behold, we perceive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's giving, Peter is, is giving some facts. There's some facts about who Jesus is. He was born. He lived. He modeled. He taught. He did miracles. He died a sacrificial substitutionary death. He rose again from the dead. As a result of that, we can journey into the next day with a living hope, walking through the same circumstances that we were yesterday, but we've awakened to something. And what a better time for us to awaken to that than at Christmas. Henry Nouwen was reflecting a little bit on this. Uh, regarding 
uh, realizing that he needs to look at Christmas a little differently. He wrote, I realize that songs and good feelings and beautiful liturgies and nice presents and big dinners and many sweet words do not make Christmas. You know, for many of us, Christmas is nostalgia, it's sentimentality. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not substantive. That's not enough to enable me to open a gift of living hope. Uh, Alan goes on to say, Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work, not mine. Go back to the previous slide. I want you to look at what's highlighted. Christmas is saying yes. Opening that gift, saying I will say yes to a hope, a confidence in being able to navigate this by beholding the gospel, by holding the good news. Because that angel was saying, fear not, I bring you good tidings, glad tidings, good news. Evangelion is the word. It's the gospel. I bring you the gospel. The reason that you and I navigate not just through a pie-in-the-sky Jedi mind trick of, oh, optimistically saying it'll be okay, but saying, I'm going to confidently walk ahead because of some realities. So how do we do that? It comes out later in that same verse, in verse 11, he mentions two words about the identity of Jesus that, that are both necessary for me to taste hope. It refers to him as Savior and Lord, and in that, you can, I can get two keys of hope. How do I open this box? How do I see differently that enables me to walk, to live, to relate, to journey differently? Key number one to hope is receiving His love. Key on the word Savior. So how do we find hope? The angel says, do not be afraid, fear not. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. He says, let me tell you why. Because born to you this day is one who is Savior. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. There's a purpose that's, that's being accomplished. You, you look at the, the proclamation of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and you can see there's this notion of the blood of Christ, the salvation work of Christ, His saving work on the cross has ramifications for us understanding what hope is by understanding what love is. Ephesians 2, 12, remember, see something. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you'll be brought near by the blood of Christ, by this saving work of Christ. Jesus dying on the cross, He was dying not to start a religion, not dying as a martyr. He was dying a substitutionary death, taking upon Himself the sins of the world, paying an infinite penalty because He was fully God. An infinite penalty would take you and me eternity to pay. And He did that for purpose. You have been saved. If you've trusted Christ, you are saved, but you're saved for a reason. And that's not just to get the word Christian by your name. He's got a purpose. I read about a school system up on the, uh, in the Northeast years ago that 
had a special program where they had these teachers that were connected with the healthcare system, the hospitals in the, in the city. And these teachers would, would help students who were in the hospital, their teachers would call these, these particular teachers, these, these assistants, and have them go to the hospitals to visit the kids and help them do their schoolwork so they didn't get too far behind. And this one teacher called this healthcare worker slash teacher who was assigned to a particular hospital, and she told her about a little boy, and we're going to call him Timmy and said, if you could please go to Timmy, he's in the burn unit. He had a very bad accent. And if you could teach him this lesson and that we've just sent you about verbs and adverbs. So the teacher said, okay. And she got to the hospital. She went to the burn unit. She went to Timmy's room. She walked in and she, she stopped. She had to really cover it up quick because he had been burned very badly. He was in, 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 he was in terrible shape. And even his countenance, she could tell. So she kind of stammered, hi, Timmy, I'm Mrs. So-and-so, and I've... The school sent me here to teach you about verbs and adverbs. And I'd like you to take, take you through this lesson. So she kind of stuttered, stammered, she got through it, left feeling like an absolute failure. The next day, one of the nurses called her and said, what happened between you and Timmy yesterday? And she's saying, I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. And, uh, and she says, I'm so sorry. I, I just did what, it was a lesson on verbs and adverbs. The woman said, oh, no, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Timmy, after you left, he was a different boy. He actually cooperated with our treatments. He didn't push back. He didn't reject any medicines. And he's had the same attitude all day today, and I just wanted to know what happened. Two weeks later, Timmy was released from the burn unit, moved to a regular room, and the nurse was asking him about that day when he turned the corner, and it was the day that he had that lesson on verbs and adverbs. And she said, was it that meeting with that teacher? And he said, yeah. She says, why? What, what difference did that make? He said, I was scared to death. I didn't know if I was going to die or not, and I thought I probably am, and I was, I was feeling so bad, and I was depressed, and then this woman comes in and tells me that the school sent her to teach me about verbs and adverbs, and I figured if I were going to die, they wouldn't be wanting to teach me about verbs and adverbs. Jesus says, I've saved you. And you know what you and I are going to say? He wouldn't have saved us if He didn't have a plan. And this pandemic, or whatever you're dealing with, it ain't going to stop that plan from being fulfilled. Isaiah, this Redeemer, this Savior, Verse 1 of Isaiah 43, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Have hope. And here's why. Because I'm your Savior, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. 
Two verses later, verse 4, since you're precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Verse 5, do not be afraid. Have hope, for I'm with you. And that angel says, do not be afraid. Have hope, because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you for you. And He knows you by name and He will be with you. Do you guys remember at the beginning of the, uh, the, the pandemic and the quarantine? Remember, I was what, 12, 13 years ago? I, I'm not real sure. It's been a long time. But we unpacked Zechariah chapter 9. This is what he says. As for you, verse 11, Zechariah 9, because of the blood of my covenant with you. Again, because of me being your Redeemer being your Savior. I'll free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Now the word prisoner comes up twice in that passage. A prisoner is somebody who's not in control. And guess what? You're not in control. All the pandemic has done is this unmask the illusion of any control that we've got. And that's the thing that causes us so much stress. As we, we all of a sudden started to realize that we're not in control. It could be a great blessing. The pandemic could be an immense blessing by dismantling that illusion that we're not in control as long as we companion that realization with an understanding and a conviction and a beholding that He is in control. So we move from prisoner of despair, we're not in control there, but to a prisoner of hope. And he says, I've got this, and I've got you. So how do I unpack this gift of hope that's under your tree? You go, go back home, you'll find it there. How do we unpack it? Number one, receive his love. Let him love you. And realize as Savior, he loves you, and he's got a purpose. But number two, Second key to hope is welcoming his leadership. If I'm going to unpack his hope to behold something, I, I receive his love as Savior. And secondly, I engage with him. Go back to verse 11. He says, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah. He's the Lord. See Him as Savior and Lord. Behold that. And that changes an understanding of walking this path, knowing I'm loved, but also welcoming His leadership. It's not one or the other. It's not Savior, but not Lord. He's Savior and Lord together at the same time. I'm loved and I'm led. That's a healthy follower of Christ. That's a hopeful follower of Christ. And we've got to embrace His leadership and so often because we live in this illusion that we're under control. We don't want anybody leading us. <laughs> Steve McMillan wrote a thing a while back about this liberal arts college, small, about four or 5,000 students. This girl applied to it, high school or senior in high school, filled out her applications answering the questions. One of the questions was, uh, are you a leader? And she was a very gifted young woman, but she knew she wasn't a leader. She thought, I can't lie. So she said, no. And she didn't even elaborate. She said, I've just got to be truthful. She said, but that's, that's it for that college. Thankfully, I've applied to several others. 
she got back a letter of acceptance from the college. And this is what they said. Uh, They said, dear, and then they put her name there at the top of the letter. And then they said, a study of our application forms that we have received reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they all have at least one follower. (laughs) Welcome to our college. As some admissions officers having some fun, but there's some, uh, I, some truth to that because we, 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 we got this. Even at the beginning of the pandemic, there are a lot of people saying we've got this. Who, who would have known that nine months later, we're still grappling? How do I unpack hope? I receive his love, but I also need to welcome his leadership. Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you'll guide them to your holy dwelling. So what's it look like for me to welcome his leadership? It's a passage of Scripture that I've been rememorizing during the pandemic. And in it are four principles that are helping me to have hope. I'm just going to share them with you quickly, but let me first read the passage to you. Psalm, four, Psalm 84 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca they make it a place of springs the autumn rains also cover it with pools and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion a reason that I keep coming back to this passage is there are four principles here that enable me to welcome his leadership what does it look like for me to welcome his leadership to behold Him as Lord and welcome His leadership while also beholding Him as Savior and receiving His love. Here are the four principles. It's verse by verse going back through here. Number one, welcoming His leadership means engaging with the plot. I'm engaging the plot. You say, the plot? What are we talking about? Go back to verse 5. It says, it talks about, blessed are those whose strength is in you. That word strength comes up several times here. And, but whose heart are set on what? I want you to read that out loud. Okay, you've got to do it louder because of that. What? Pilgrimage. Our strength is in you. As we are on a journey, I need strength not for sitting, but for stepping. For journeying. And in the midst of something like the pandemic, the temptation is to just hunker down and not realize this is part of the journey. Jesus has got this. He's fine. He's not freaking out saying, where in the world did COVID-19 come from? Where are we headed? You know where we're headed. 
Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, we're headed to that day in which all things are restored and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in the midst of this pandemic, he is not saying, this is setting me off course. We tend to look at our Christianity and biblical Christianity as, as a bunch of propositions, which is true, but it's also a plot. And that plot is that he, through his redemption, through his lordship, he is restoring all things things, and the pandemic is not altering his plan at all. And so as I walk through, I am journeying with his strength not to sit, but to step, even if it's taking one more step and realizing, you know what, today is still under his lordship. He's as king today as he was yesterday. And so God, let me engage with the plot. What does that look like for me to, to take one step with your strength? The second principle, it's not just engaging the plot, it's stewarding the pain. It's an odd phrase, you've heard me use it before though. To be a steward is someone who takes something and handles it appropriately. Go back to verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, you know what the word Baca means? Tears. In Hebrew, it, it means tears. We are in the midst. If there's ever been a valley of tears, we're in it right now. And the temptation is to either kill the pain, anesthetize things, distract ourselves. And it doesn't mean we want more pain. That's masochism. But it, what, what it does mean is I, I want to know as leadership. I want to see this differently. And I want to see this is an opportunity for me to steward. The worst kind of pain is wasted pain. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, I know you're going through a difficult time, but you know what? God in His love and Lordship is refining you. Make sure you submit before that. I had a friend named Terry several years ago. He got MS. And he says, it awakened me. He stewarded the pain. I said, what did you learn? He said, you know what, top couple lessons. One, I've learned to be honest with God. Two, I've learned that I'm not going to wait until I retire to live my life. What are you learning as a result of the pandemic? Or as a result of some subset of that. Maybe it's a financial difficulty, a vocational thing, some relationship. In the midst of it, the temptation is to to cower, hunker down, and not, no, 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 we got to engage the plot. And his strength is for movement and for journeying. While we're doing that, we're stewarding. And when we get through this, we're going to look back. Anybody here want to say the greatest lessons, the greatest growth that you ever had as a follower of Jesus as a human being were when everything was wonderful? No. The greatest moments of, of growth come in the fire, in the midst of the, the pandemic of, what, of the heart. And when we get through it and turn around, will we be able to say, and I don't know when that's going to be with the pandemic, when the vaccine's done, whatever, looking back, <clears throat> here's the question. 
did I learn what I was supposed to learn? And if I've been resistant and just anesthetized the pain and tried to escape, and we're all prone to that, and we get through this pandemic, and we didn't learn, we weren't refined in the way we were going to guess what God does. In His love and leadership, He doesn't say, oh, okay, I'm sorry, He didn't do that. (laughs) He's got some stuff He's doing in me, and therefore, we're going, welcome to another pandemic or another trial, or another storm, because He's getting us holy as He's getting us home, and He's refining us. The third principle of welcoming His leadership is not just engaging the plot and stewarding the pain, but it's experiencing the beauty on a daily basis. A lot of us are saying, boy, can't wait till we get back to normal. We're not going back to normal. That train's left the station. It's going to be a new day. When all this is done, it's a new day. But we don't wait until then to live our lives. The gospel is to be lived out right now. Boy, it's too bad this Christmas is going to be so weird. Yes, it is. But there is beauty to be found in the midst of the desert that might not could be found otherwise. Go back to verse 6. Look at the rest of it. He says, we're traveling, traveling through, we're journeying through this valley of tears. We make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. We find the beauty in these moments. Psalm 27 verse 4 David is being pursued by an, besieged by an army, and he refers to being in the day of trouble. And he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell. In the midst, this is not on holiday. This is not kind of in a church time. This is in the midst of his pandemic. He says, one thing, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord. And seek Him in His temple. Not wait until things are all fine. Guess what? They're not going to be fine. That's my good news for you today. We're in a fallen world. There's a plot that's unfolding, and the end result will be the glory of the Lord covering the earth as waters cover the sea. But in the meantime, let's engage the plot, steward the pain, but also experience the beauty right now. Did you guys see this past week, it was Tuesday. It was, a, it was out on, the, on social media and the internet, uh, a letter from Bondi Shea Gibson, the superintendent of schools for Jefferson County Schools in Charlestown, West Virginia. They were the, the big storm was coming through on Wednesday. They were just getting dumb. You remember that. All the people in Florida notice when there's snowstorms up north, because yet you're, you're reminded, this is why I live here. But she wrote this about the next day, Wednesday, December 16th. She said, Dear Jefferson County Schools community, for generations, families have greeted the first snow day of the year with joy. It is a time of renewed wonder at all the beautiful things that each season holds, a reminder of how fleeting a childhood can be, an opportunity to make some memories with your family that you hold on to for life. 
For all of these reasons and many more, Jefferson County Schools will be completely closed for tomorrow, Wednesday, December 16th, in honor of the first snow day of the year. Closed for students, closed for virtual, closed for staff. It has been a year of seemingly endless loss and the stress of trying to make up for that loss. For just a moment, we can all let go of the worry of making up for the many things we missed by making sure this is one thing our kids won't lose this year, the first snow day of the year. So please, enjoy a day of sledding and hot chocolate and cozy fires. Take pictures of your kids in snow hats that they will outgrow by next year and read books that you have wanted to lose yourself in but haven't had the time. And we'll return to the serious and urgent business of growing up on Thursday. But for tomorrow, go build a snowman. Don't wait till the pandemic's over to experience the beauty. The beauty of who God is and His creation. Take a look at that list one more time. Engage the plot. Welcome His leadership by engaging the plot. Steward the pain. Don't waste it. Experience the beauty. But there's one more principle. Embrace the mystery. Anybody know why we're having this pandemic right now? Look at verse 7. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. We would prefer to go from answer to answer. I'm staying here until I get another answer and I'll go there because I don't want to be in this in-between time where I have to say I don't know. Dr. Francis Schaeffer years ago when I was in Waymo, Switzerland in college, this brilliant philosopher, asked a question had to do with his cancer and what he was journeying through and his answer was, I, I don't know. And then I, I was behind him just a couple of days later in, a, in the chapel there on the side of the mountain in the Alps, and he's worshiping God, and I'm watching him. He was worshiping, not answers. This is what we're idolaters. You know what we typically do? We want to worship answers instead of worship God. And when I worship answers, it robs me of the beauty of experiencing the strength to strength of his enoughness. And the way we get through this is we journey from strength to strength to strength. I don't know how to take this next step. He says, trust me, I'm enough. So we pursue Him in the midst of the mystery, in the midst of the I don't knows. That's why Jesus said in John 16, I've said these things to you, verse 33, John 16, so that in me you may have peace, that you may have hope, I've been teaching you so that you'll perceive the reality of a fallen world differently than your, your fellow human beings who don't know me. Now in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have pandemics. But take heart and see something. I have overcome the world and I am enough. So 
engage the plot of my Father's purposes. Steward the pain of a fallen world. Experience the beauty of my Father's world. And embrace the mystery. And taste that I'm enough. So do not be afraid. Behold. I give you hope in the name of the Savior and the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the fact that you are enough. And I know there's lots of pandemic scenarios that we're grappling with. We trust you. Forgive me for worshiping answers more than I worship you at times. And may we experience your strength in the midst of the I don't knows and your beauty in the midst of the days of trouble and your refining in the midst of the fire and your plot in the midst of the pandemic. I so thank you for the privilege of, of journeying with these men and women and ask that you would anoint this Christmas as something special. Not in spite of the pandemic, but because of it. Amen. Amen.